0: Well, good morning, Revolution Church. How are we? Doing all right? Now, we're talking about family discipleship today, and I brought somebody with me. Can you tell them your name? Caleb. Caleb, who, who's your favorite parent? No, no, don't, don't say that. Your, your mommy's probably watching. We don't want to embarrass her. So, uh, Do we do family discipleship in our home? Yes. Are you sure? Yes. Okay, good. Thank you for that, buddy. I appreciate it. you. <laughs> Would you mind opening us up in the prayer that we do for our family discipleship time at home? Okay, good. God, please help us to understand what we're about to read, and please help us to apply to our life. Amen. Amen. All right, thank you, buddy. <clears throat> you know, he got his looks from me because his mommy still has hers, you know. Let's make sure everybody knew that. today we are talking about family discipleship and it's such an important thing for us to discuss together as a faith family in 1816 jc ryle was born in england into an immensely wealthy and socially elite family his grandfather earned a tremendous fortune and then he left it to ryle's father John Charles was the oldest son and grew up lacking no comfort whatsoever. He was the oldest son of a wealthy English family and was expected to seek a career in parliament, and this was Ryle's ambition for his life. But at age 21, he suffered a protracted lung infection, and during his confinement, he began to read the Bible, something that, according to his own admission, he had not done for 14 years. One Sunday during his recovery, he entered an Oxford church just as Ephesians 2.8 was being read. For it is by grace you have been saved, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. He came under great conviction. He was converted, and from that moment to the last syllable of his life, notes his biographer, no doubt ever entered into John's mind that the Word of God was living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. You see, from his conversion in 1837 to his burial in 1900, J.C. Ryle was entirely one-dimensional. He was a one-book man. He was steeped in scripture. He bled the Bible. As only Ryle could say, it is still the first book which fits the child's mind when he begins to learn religion and the last to which the old man clings to as he leaves the world. This is why his works have lasted and will last, because they bear the stamp of eternity. And today, more than a hundred years after his passing, Ryle's work stands at the crossroads between historic faith and modern evangelicalism. Like signposts. They direct us to the old paths. And like signposts, they are meant to be read. J.C. Ryle has one of my favorite quotes regarding parenting and family discipleship. And this is the reason why I wanted to share a little bit of his story with you and his upbringing. He said, you cannot make your children love the Bible. I admit that. None but the Holy Spirit can give us a heart To delight in the Word of God. But you can make your children acquainted with the Bible and be sure they cannot be acquainted with that blessed book too soon or too well. What would happen if we adopted that as our family mission statement for discipleship? Getting our children acquainted with the Bible on a regular basis as fathers and mothers teaching our children and helping them to understand the importance and truth of God's word. You see, like Ryle, when we look closely in the scriptures, we cannot help but see that parents have been commanded and blessed to be the primary disciples of their children. That's the main point of today's message. Parents have been commanded and blessed to be the primary disciples of their children. I want to give you a heads up. We're going to focus in three different areas of the Old Testament today. And it might be better for you to jot these passages down and follow along on the screens because you may not be able to move as quickly as I can between these. But go ahead and and jot the references down as we work through these together. We're going to begin in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. How on the day that you stood before the Lord, your God, at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so." Let's flip over to Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house, and on your gates. And finally, Deuteronomy eleven nineteen. 19. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house. And when you are walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, basically all the time. That's when we should be talking to our kids about the things of God and imparting to them the full counsel, the full truth of God's word. We must do this as Parents. You see the solemn admonition here in these passages to be careful, an admonition that occurs numerous times in the book of Deuteronomy. And to watch implies that the Israelites constantly, constantly faced the danger of falling into a sin that would have brought them to the brink of annihilation as a nation. That sin was idolatry. And the nation could become idolatrous in two related ways. First, the depravity of the human mind is so great that the great deeds of God for his people and for them it was the exodus and the giving of the law at Horeb that those might slip from their hearts if they did not constantly remind themselves of God's mighty works in their lives. It was something they were to look back to and as you read scripture you'll see how important these events are in the nation of Israel. Or second, and here's where I want you to lock in this morning. Here's where I really want you to listen very carefully. Through laziness or apathy, parents might fail to teach them to their children, and thus their children could become idolaters as well. You see, Deuteronomy lays great stress not on the priests or other religious leaders, but on the Parents as the ones responsible for their children's spiritual education. God trusts his great events of revelation, such as his giving of the law at Sinai, to faithful stewards. It's amazing. That's, that's a great word, and it's faithful stu- stewards. I think we have a few of those here. To faithful stewards who must never forget them and who must pass them on to their children. But like Joshua. We must make a choice. And Pastor Jason stressed this last week in his opening message of this series in Joshua 24:15. We see that Joshua made a choice and hopefully we'll make that same one as well in Joshua 24:15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the God your fathers served and the reason. Region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua wanted Israel to be honest with themselves, and he challenged them to declare their allegiance. And though he said, choose, he did not intend to encourage idolatry, but was confident that the very thought of making a commitment to an idol for the nation of Israel would be so disgusting to them that they would take a stand against all such forms of worship. Joshua left no doubt in the people's minds as to the choice he had made for him and his household. But you see, once the choice has been made, to serve the Lord, we must then teach the coming generations. And if you'll flip over to Psalm 78, we're going to look at verses 5 through 8. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. You see, each generation must remember that the Lord revealed the divine oracles to Israel as an expression of the covenant relationship that he had sovereignly and graciously established between himself and Israel. Israel was to be the example of that covenant relationship between God and his people. And they weren't supposed to elevate themselves to a position that they thought they should be. They were supposed to be an example to the nations to show who the one True God is and how you can have a relationship with him they were supposed to teach this revelation from generation to generation so that each generation might put their, put their trust in God by remembering his deeds and by keeping his commands. But the hearts of the desert generation, they were not loyal to God, and their spirits were not faithful to God. instead, they were thoroughly. Rebellious. So why this message today? Why is this message so important? Basically, to help parents and families understand what God has called us to do that he's very clear about in his word. To challenge all of us to pass on the faith we have and help us avoid being unfaithful and rebellious to what God has called every single one of us as Christ followers to do in our homes with our children. But you may sit here and say, you know, Pastor Jordan, I I don't have any kids yet. You might one day. It's important for you to start preparing right now for what you will hope to pass on to the kids that God may entrust you with one day. Well, you know, Pastor Jordan, that sounds great, but hey, you know what? My kids are gone. We're empty nesters. They're already out of the house. You know what? As long as your kids are breathing, it's not too late to make up for lost time and to at least begin to prepare yourself to invest in your grandchildren. You know, when my kids go to see my mom and dad, or they go to see Shelly's folks, we want them to have a family devotional time. We want them to pray together. We want them to study the Bible together. We hope their grandparents will pass on the faith that they have and share their testimony of how God has moved and worked in their lives so our kids can see that. Well, you know, I don't don't really plan on having any kids. I, I just, I don't think that's for me in the future. You know, there are still some good principles that we're talking about today that will help you in other areas of discipleship. And you know, you may not plan on having children of your own, but you may be investing in somebody else's children. Maybe you teach in a school setting. Maybe you serve here in kids or students and you're investing in other people's kids. Or you may do that one day to serve here at Revolution. We encourage you to be ready to invest in other people's kids, whatever level that will be. So did I get everyone? Did I cover everybody? Did I get all my bases covered? So you can't walk out of here and say, well, you know, that message was great. I sure hope so-and-so listened to it. No, it's it's for all of us. Steve Wright, author of the book, Apparent Privilege, he challenged a group of student ministers at the Refined Conference that I attended several years ago to do the following. He said, ask a group of students these questions, which I did with the students that I was the student minister over. He said, how many of you read Scripture with your parents on a regular basis? His research said it would be about 4 to 6%. Sadly, he was dead on. Second, how many of you pray with your parents on a regular basis? His research said it would again Be four to six percent. Once again, he was right on target. Now, how many of you would like to read scripture and pray with your parents on a regular basis if they asked you to? His research showed that it would be 85 to 90 percent. It was kind of scary, but when I asked our students these questions, dead on. Steve went on to say that two thirds of young people leave the church around the time of graduation. Two thirds of kids and church going families today are walking away from Christ. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that is happening so often in our culture and in our society? Listen to what Dr. Michael Youssef says in his series, Parenting 911. He says, less than 60% of children who grow up in evangelical churches do not return to those churches as an adult because they do not see a real, genuine commitment in the lives of their parents. Does that bother you? I hope it does. Because it bothers me. You know, parents, let your kids see you reading your Bible. Let your kids see you praying are you praying together with your spouse? You know, last night I was doing some additional study aside from sermon prep, just doing my devotional time. And Caleb walked by, the one that was out here a little bit ago, and I'm gonna set this up. I was messing with him. And I said, son, um, have you done any of this today? Have you read your Bible? He said, no, sir. I said, well, you don't want to be a dumb Christian now. You know, you really don't want to do that. You're probably going, I cannot believe you said that to your son. Well, I was joking and it got a smile out of him, but it was also a challenge to say, hey, don't forget to spend time pursuing the one that you love and who created you. It's so important for us to do that. Let me ask you another question. Whose job is it to disciple your kids? Based on the passages that we read together earlier, it's parents. So how are we doing? Randy Stinson, professor of leadership and family ministry at the Southern Baptist Seminary says, Over the last 17 years of ministry, I have been saddened by watching parents endure, strive, sacrifice, and contend for all the wrong things when it comes to their children. Some of these pursuits are of some value. But the cultivation of godliness, which is of value in every way, seems to get the least amount of attention. Parents should bring more energy, willingness to sacrifice, and inclination for endurance to the task of their children's discipleship than to any other parent responsibility. I think he nailed it. I think he hit the nail right on the head. I have watched so many parents being well-meaning, well-intended. They wanted to provide all these different things and opportunities for their kids, but they have missed what is most important, and that is sharing their faith and passing on the hope that they have. And we cannot do that for our kids. We cannot do that in our families, because if we do, then we're going to lead them down the wrong path. And we must honor God with our choices and teach them the things of God. But what about those who think they are getting it right but in reality are missing it as well. As Pastor Jason has said, parents are the primary disciplers of their children and must not delegate that responsibility to anyone. You see God has given up our kids, given us our kids to bring them up to follow Jesus. I want you to listen to Frank's story. His church had what was considered an excellent and active student ministry. And he made, his, made sure his kids were there every time the doors were open. They thought they were doing all the right things. Frank told me, as my wife and I were raising our boys, I realized that we believed our job was to bring our boys to church. We truly believed that if we could find a good student ministry and keep our children active, then they would continue to serve Christ throughout their lives. We realize now that this belief system, no matter how earnestly we believed it, did not hold true for us. Our two adult children, now in their 30s, are no longer walking with Christ. We brought them to church. We dropped them off to serve in other areas, all the while honestly believing we were doing the right things. I wish someone had told us that the responsibility of discipling our children was ours, not a pastor's. I wish we would have known. It has been said, and I agree 100%. Most parents, most parents know deep down that they cannot hand off the privilege of discipling their children to a pastor or to anyone else. You have an incredible privilege plainly in front of you, the apparent privilege to disciple your children. You see, the church and the home must come together, partnering together, not seeking to be neglected or replaced. But with so many plates spinning and parents' weakened confidence that they could are even, even qualified to be a parent, We do what the culture applauds. We leave the parenting up to the professionals. This conventional wisdom says, hey, go enroll your kids in the best schools to handle their educational development. Get them on the right team in the right league to handle their athletic development. Find a great Christian counselor to deal with their emotional development. And hey, go find a good church where you can drop them off so somebody else can handle their spiritual development. And what's left for us to do as parents? Just handle their child's basic needs and hope the professionals are doing their job. That is so misguided in our thinking. I want you to hear me. This is so important to grasp. We can't just manage the experts overseeing certain aspects of our kids' lives. That is not what we are called to do. That is not what God has challenged us to do. You know, when Hannah comes to students on Wednesday nights, because she's in middle school, she comes home and I ask her, I was like, hey, did Corey say anything stupid tonight? (laughs) Now, don't think that I think Corey's stupid. I I trust Corey. Uh, Corey and I share resources back and forth and Corey's solid. But it's a conversational piece because I usually get, gosh, daddy. But then we're able to have that conversation and we're able to talk about what they talked about on Wednesday night because I'm just not, I'm not gonna leave it up to Corey. I'm not gonna leave it up to Derek, to disciple Caleb. I'm gonna work with them as we are teaching things at home and my wife Shelly and I are imparting the truth of God's word and leading by example. We're gonna have conversations with them and supplement those things and guide them to love Jesus more and more. And, and what does the research tell us? What, what does the research tell us? I, I, don't have to, I don't have time to go into all that I found. But I want you to understand one thing. The research I'm going to share with you is secular. It, it's not Christian faith-based. It is secular. 70% of teens identified their parents as the most important influence in their lives. Contrary to what parents think, Kids say mom and dad have the biggest impact on the choices they make. Ages 13 to 24 were asked, what makes you happy? Spending time with family was their top answer. Nearly half of teens mentioned, at least one of their parents as their hero. The research that I found concludes with this. Parents play an extremely important role and developing the religious attitudes and practices of their kids. Family is the most powerful institution in promoting the faith of our youth. Secular. Secular research says this. Now, you you don't have to look, however, to research groups to see the influence that parents have in the lives of their kids. It is if God himself has personally whispered into the ears of parents, etched it on our hearts, and impressed it upon our souls. His guidance has been calling out clearly from thousands of years in his word. And the eternal truth constantly emphasizes, empowers, and validates our privilege as parents. And if God knew that we had no influence on our kids, then the Bible would have absolutely no reason to tell us parents to spend time teaching our kids. But still, with all that, we tend to make excuses, don't we? You know, Pastor, that that, that sounds great, but I I can't do it. Man, I don't know how. How? I just, I can't do it. I am, I am so intimidated by discipling my, someone else, especially my kids. I want you to repeat after me. I can do this. I can do this. God wants me to do this. God wants me to do this. I carry more influence. I carry more influence Then I give myself credit for. Then I give myself credit for. Now, I hope you'll say that until you believe it. And then I hope you'll say it because you believe it. Don't you ever, ever listen to the lies of the enemy who tells you you cannot pour into the lives of your kids. And and here's what's funny to me is that there are times when I struggle to answer my kids' questions. You know, I I, I struggle with how to answer their questions from the Bible in a way they'll understand. And sometimes I have to say, I I don't know, I'll have to look that up. But I'm grateful that we're having these conversations and researching and searching together for these answers as a family. We're doing this together as a family. Secondly, you know, Pastor, the the Bible is is, just too intimidating. I just, I just don't know how to do this. You know, I met with a couple a few months ago, and the wife had a lot of questions, and she got to a point after we were talking back and forth, and she said, wait, wait, wait a minute. So there are some things in the Bible that you believe and embrace on the basis of faith, but you don't fully understand and can't fully explain? I said, uh-huh. She said, oh. Yes, there are some things that we're going to struggle to understand, but I don't struggle with understanding who does know the answers because of my relationship with God because of my relationship with Jesus. We we need to learn to dig and to study and to beg God for guidance. I mean, do we give up so easily in other areas when we don't have the answers? No, we whip out our phones, we get our tablet, we get on a computer, we do whatever, we get on the internet and we search for things. And we need to do that. We need to dig, study, ask questions. Ask God to show us. I mean, folks, we've got family discipleship resources on our website. Our kids in our student ministry, they have a resource area out here to my left, your right. I mean, they're out there every week, and they have resources that they'd love to tell you about that will help you disciple your kids. Pastor Derek's out there. Other people on his team, you can have a conversation with them. It's not too late for you to sign up for parent night that's happening right here tomorrow night. It's a free event to help you and encourage you to be the parents that God has called you to be. This is where our church can and is willing to come alongside you to help you better disciple your kids. Here's what must be avoided. Here's what must be avoided refusing to get our children acquainted with the Bible just because it is hard or intimidating. As parents, it is our responsibility, and it's a crucial one. In his book on heaven, D.L. Moody told about a father who had a son who was very ill. No one really thought how ill this boy was until the doctor came in and did an examination and was talking with the mom. The dad came home that evening and the mother is in tears and he's like, what's wrong? She said, the illness is a whole lot more intense than we thought. And there's a good chance that our boy will not make it through the night. So the father goes upstairs and he's talking with the son and he's trying to hide the tears that are streaming down his face. And his son looks at him and says, Dad, there's a good chance that I'm going to be with Jesus tonight in there. His father said, yes, son, there's a good chance that you're going to be with Jesus tonight. And he said, Dad, don't you cry for me because when I get to heaven, I'm going to run right up to Jesus and I'm going to tell him, That for my entire life, you did everything you could to lead me to him. Now that is family discipleship. Parents, I need to ask you a tough question. Are you more concerned about your kid's success in this life than you are about them coming to know Jesus and walking with him. It's it's a question we must all wrestle with as parents. It drives our decision making. You see, we cannot help our children gain the whole world and yet forfeit their souls. The reality is, is that Satan wants our kids. And we have to go to war in the spiritual realm as parents... Praying for, fighting for the hearts and minds of our kids. Because until they know how to guard their hearts and minds, we need to do it for them. This world is trying to divide their affection and pull them away from Jesus. I know that family discipleship can be intimidating and at times it can be challenging, but it is so, so very rewarding. You get to see and experience firsthand the spiritual growth and development of your kids. From, if you don't sit still and shut your mouth and pay attention, to, wow, he just shared something that was right on track with what we were talking about. He actually got it to, babe. That question really doesn't apply to anything we were talking about. To, did you hear the prayer that she just prayed that was so incredibly awesome? Those are the things we get to be a part of as parents. And it's such a cool deal. And we cannot miss out on those. I want to leave you with some very practical points this morning. I hope you'll jot these down. They'll be on the screen for you. Number one, parents, you are the primary spiritual leaders for your children. Let them see you reading your Bible, praying together. Talk about the scriptures. Talk about what God is doing in your life. Include them in your prayer time, and your decision making. You know, let them pray for how much your wife is frustrating you on a regular basis. (laughs) My wife's not here today. She's home with a sick child and I'm going to get it for that, but I'll survive a few more hours. Second and most important, teach your kids to love Jesus. Man, teach your kids to love Jesus. Share with them about that relationship and the hope that you have. And lastly, Do what works for your family dynamic and rhythm of life. Not every resource or practice is going to work for all families. What we do may not work for you. But there are so many different ways to do family discipleship. Just do it. Just have those conversations. Read scripture together. Talk about it. Pray together. That's basically what we do in discipleship. I leave you with this thought from Pastor Jason's message back in October. We are not only working to accomplish spiritual formation, but also the formation of strong, godly families. Our faith journey is about following Jesus personally, but also making sure our family has the opportunity to follow Jesus as well. God has given us as parents the privilege of passing down the good news to the next generation. Our job as the church is to partner with parents to make sure our kids and students are also growing. As we go into our time of response today, I, I want you to know something. I, I'm not perfect. I'm not. I'm not where I need to be, but I'm not who I used to be either. And the moment that I trusted Jesus, my identity changed. I now have a faith and a hope that I want to pass on to someone, especially my children. Do you have something of eternal value that you want to pass on? If you have yet to trust Jesus, what what are you waiting on? What lie have you bought into that there could be anything better than a relationship with Jesus? Because there, there ain't. Let me just go all Mississippi on there ain't. I mean, what are you holding on to that you've convinced yourself that that, that could be better than Jesus? It ain't. And if, if you're ready to repent of your sin and trust in the Jesus of the Bible, we want to give you that opportunity today. We want to help you understand what it means to engage in a lifelong pursuit that carries over into eternity. That, that's what He's calling us to, not just a bunch of benefits but an intimate, personal relationship with our Savior and our Creator. You see, the Bible tells us how we are to be saved. All who come to faith are saved by one thing and one thing only. God purifying our hearts through belief in Jesus Christ. That's it. And if you're ready to trust Jesus for the very first time, I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, we don't want to embarrass you. I want to lead you in a prayer. And there's nothing magical about this. But we want to help you express to God what he's doing in your heart and mind. So if you're ready to trust Jesus for the very first time, I want you to pray this with me. Heavenly Father, I've been running from you. And I've made other things more important than you. And I confess that. I agree with you about my sinful condition. And I repent. The Bible says we need to repent. Turn away from, I turn away from my sin. And I turn to your son Jesus and embrace salvation.